when events happen that really reach into the community that are that are so far reaching um, certain things that are that are, that are dramatic that, that touch us that happen um, you can always kind of remember when you look back where you were when those events happened you know it's for me 911 I, I remember exactly where I was whenever somebody said to me have you seen what's happening in America and I remember turning on the news and, and watching that from a distance and and really staggering an unbelief that actually that was actually what was happening on on the ground and uh maybe even princess diana going back a little bit you'll remember where you were when you when you got the news and i would say for many thursday was a day like that thursday was a day whenever we got the news that the queen had passed we will probably remember where we were on that uh Uh, in that moment. Thursday was one of those days, one of those impactful days where we reflected upon uh, the Queen and her life and the Queen passed from this life onto the next and um, as I said already this morning, you know, we knew it was coming, didn't we? You know, death will come upon all men and uh, we knew it was coming but still it was was a shock, wasn't it? When we got the news that, that Her Majesty had Past and you know it wasn't long before the news channels were up and running and the, and the uh, memorials were coming in and the tributes were coming in from the different people that were, were recounting some of the moments they'd had with the Queen, some of the things that she'd said, some of the things that she'd done. And I don't know about you, but for me, I was struck really um, how much her faith was spoken about. Certainly, now that's died down a little bit. I think the secular world has caught themselves on a little and, and thought we're doing a bit too much to promote Christ. But certainly, in those first uh, few hours, when the tributes were on and the, the radio was on, people were speaking about how much a, a part of her, her faith was. And, you know, talked about her reign, obviously, and how long it was. And, and really were identifying the length of her reign, but also how she'd been able to keep herself above reproach, really. Now, she wasn't perfect, no, no doubt about it, but in terms of her public figure compared to her uh, children, she certainly lived a life that was uh, exemplary as a public figure. She lived uh, as that position and that privilege should be lived. And it was, uh, you know, really touching to me how that that was always brought back to her faith playing a huge part in that and how she lived and and how she went. And, And, you know, as a country, we've been very privileged very privileged to have a sovereign uh, over us. Now, we understand that the sovereign that's over us in this country isn't, you know, uh, has had the authority that they once did. We know that. But in terms of that public figure and that influence, and it was still wide ranging, we were, were very lucky that we have had a 70-year reign of a monarch who had a personal faith. Now, you know, maybe not to the extent that, that we would maybe have liked her to show that faith. There's no doubt about that. You can't paint her up to be the model Christian. That's, that's, that's going too far with it. But in her unique role, she certainly had a unique faith based on the Lord Jesus Christ and based on, um, you know, from what we're told, the evangelist Billy Graham actually coming and, and preaching and sharing uh, the gospel with her. And she was always, when she had a public address, certainly at Christmas and other times, she would talk about Christ as her example. And we have to understand that I guess your hands are tied a little bit in that, in that role. 
But nevertheless, we have been privileged to have a monarch that had a faith and tried to point people to Jesus as the one she modelled her life upon. Seventy years. You know, this year we marked the, the Jubilee, didn't we? Seventy years, and it was seventy years ago that the Queen took an oath. She was uh, asked by the Archbishop of Canterbury, will you, to the utmost of your power, maintain the laws of God and the true profession of the gospel? And the Queen's response was, all this I promise to do. And she did. She upheld the faith in this land. There's no doubt about that. And we've been very privileged because of that. You know, we've seen in our Christmas messages, haven't we? How that she's promoted Christ in them. And, you know, that Christmas message listened to by millions. There's not many other world leaders or public figures in the world that would take that opportunity to speak about one so divisive as the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the world does not want to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. And many shy away from it. They do have faith in public office. But the Queen didn't. I'll give you an extract from one of her uh, speeches at Christmas. This was Christmas 2000. She said this, The true measure of Christ's influence is not only in the lives of the saints, but also in the good works quietly done by millions of men and women day in and day out throughout the centuries. Many will have been inspired by Jesus' simple but powerful teaching. Love God and love thy neighbor as thyself. In other words... Treat others as you would like them to treat you. His great emphasis was to give spirituality a practical purpose. To many of us, our beliefs are of fundamental importance. For me, the teachings of Christ and my own personal accountability before God provide a framework in which I try to lead my life. I, like so many of you, have drawn great comfort in difficult times from Christ's words and example. So when we think about the Queen, she certainly left a mark, hasn't she? There's no doubt about it. I don't know if we'll see a reign like it again. We may, we may not, but she certainly left a mark. And so as I was thinking about the news on Thursday, and I was thinking about what, what do I preach about on Sunday morning. Um, do we come out of our normal uh, message? We were going to be in Ezra, we're trying to get Ezra finished up. And then I was toying back and forward, you know, what, what do we do? Do we march on or do we take a bit of time out and do we mark it out? And I was seeking the Lord in prayer and asking him what, what he would have me do. And he kept bringing me back to Isaiah 6, verse number 1. And for me, I was, Lord, what, what, what do you want me to speak about on that? Isaiah 6 verse 1 reads this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Now, I love Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. I love Isaiah chapter number 6 uh, especially. I love how Isaiah, when he is before the Lord there, he says, Woe unto me, for I am undone. He recognizes the holiness and the magnitude of who is before him. But 
the Lord just kept bringing me to Isaiah 6 1. Isaiah 6 1. And as I thought about it, as I meditated upon the verse, there was a couple of things I think that I wanted to draw out this morning that I do think bear relevance to um, what's transpired over the last week and as we think about the Queen. And the, the two points that I want to draw out from our passage this morning, our verse this morning, is simply this. Number one, earthly rulers are flawed and fallible. That's our first point. Our second point this morning is the eternal ruler is flawless and forever. Two things to think about in the context of what's going on in the last few days. Earthly rulers are flawed and fallible. The eternal ruler is flawless and forever. So as we look at our passage our scripture verse this morning, we see the, we're going to see these two things. Firstly, in Isaiah 6, 1, we're going to see the earthly rulers are flawed and fallible. And we're just picking up on that thought in verse number 1. It says, in the year that King Isaiah died. So here, Isaiah highlights King Uzziah's death as something that was marked out in the nation. That was something that was impactful. It was something that was profound. And Isaiah uses it as a reference point. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, King Uzziah is also known as King Azariah in Scripture. Two two names. And you say, well, why the two names? Is the Bible uh, flawed? Is the Bible fallible? Is that an error by the penman in Scripture? No, when you look into it and do a little bit of uh, research into it, as, as with most things, they have an answer behind them. We just need to look and we'll see it there. So Azariah and Uzziah are the same person. Uh, Azariah uh, was uh, his um, given name. So Azariah means Jehovah has helped. Uzziah was his throne name, and that means Jehovah is strength. So think about Prince Harry. Prince Harry's, that's his given name. If Prince Harry, God forbid, would ever come to the throne, his name would be Prince Henry. That's his, 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 his rightful throne name. So it's the same concept that's being used with King Uzziah, King Azariah. And King Uzziah had one of the longest reigns, the second longest reign of uh, all the kings of Judah, only uh, beaten by Manasseh. Manasseh's reign was 55 years. Uh, King Uzziah's reign was uh, 52 years, I believe. And his death had an impact in the nation. He ruled for a long time. And he did indeed rule quite well for a long time. So let's turn to two kings this morning. We're going to have a little, uh, just a a little uh, look at this rule and reign of King Uzziah, one Kings chapter, or two Kings, sorry, two Kings chapter 15, two Kings 15, and just verses 1 to 8 there. It says, in the 20th and 7th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, began Azariah, that's King Uzziah, son of Amaziah, king of Judah, to reign. 16 years old was he when he began to reign. And he reigned two and fifty years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jeclaniah of Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. Save that the high places were not removed, the people sacrificed and burnt incense still on the high places. And the Lord smote the king, 
so that he was a leper until the day of his death, and he dwelt in a several house, and Jotham the king's son was over the house, judging the people of the land. So King Uzziah had a, a long rule and a long reign. And just reading there that kind of synopsis of his rule and his reign, you can see that he indeed started well. And he did start well. His, his rule and his reign, when you look at it in history, was profitable for the people of Judah and the nation as a whole. And, you know, it began well. How did it begin begin well. Verse number 3, 2 Kings 15, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. So he set out to do that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And as he did that, the land was prospered. The land, the people were prospered. And the nation began to expand its boundaries. Its security increased. Uh, The social economical situation across the land was one of prosperity. You can read if, you know, you want to look there yourself in your own time. In 2 Chronicles chapter number 26, you'll, you'll see all the things that Uzziah or Azariah did. He, he built up the military. He built uh, fortifications around Jerusalem, extended the borders. He made water reservoirs. He organized a draft army system. Um, he did much things to increase the, the wealth and the prosperity of the people. So he was a good ruler for a long portion of his 52 years. He did many things right. You'll find that uh, Zechariah, he took counsel from Zechariah. And, you know, he had godly influence in his life. He had a, a godly uh, um, guidance in his life. And he set out to do that, that which was right in the sight of the Lord. That's how he started. But, but, our point this morning is that earthly rulers are indeed flawed and fallible. And the king, Uzziah, who started well, finished very, very poorly. We've looked at how the king started. Let's look at how he stumbled. Verse number 4, 2 Kings 15. And save that the high places were not removed, the people sacrificed and burnt incest still on the high places. This is where the king stumbled. Now we're going to have a look a little bit later in the message at, at his, 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 the culmination of this stumble. I don't know if you've ever done this. I, I think as you get older you do this. You start to dad fall where, you know, something hits your balance and you start to wobble a little but in your mind you can recover it and this little dance goes on so you try and recover and then you fall. And if you do this, Right. Yes, you've done. A few of us have been at this for the last month. But, you know, where does it start? It starts with a little thing. And then it gets momentum and you can't get it round and you fall. Slow motion. Now we're going to see where the ultimate fall of King Uzziah was. But this is where he stumbled. And this is important. 
This is important. Because we see that, yes, he started well and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. But the word of God records for us in verse number four, save that the high places were not removed. The people sacrificed and burnt incense still on the high places. And this is where Uzziah or Azariah's failure really is. He doesn't go all the way in his reforms. He doesn't go all the way in his commitment. He doesn't go all the way in fulfilling what the Lord would have for a ruler over Israel. He failed to remove the high places. What were these high places? They were places where uh, false gods were worshipped. They they were of pagan origin. Um, Baal, we read about him often in the Old Testament. The God of storms, the God of thunder, Canaanite literature, ancient Canaanite literature, tells us that he was a God that was worshipped on the mountaintops, on the high places. Um, The prophet Jeremiah indicates that Molech worship was practiced by the Israelites at this time. Now, I can, I can name all these, all these different gods. Ashtoreth, uh, Diana, when you go on a little bit, Molech, Baal, whoever it may be, all these false gods. I want to clue you into something. If you don't already know this this morning, there is only one false god. There's only one. Call him whatever name you will. There's only one. Lucifer, Satan. The others don't exist. You understand that? It doesn't matter what manifestation he appears. It's him. It's all him. And instead of worshipping the true God, Jehovah, the people of Israel at this time were sacrificing on to Molech. Molech's just the devil dressed up. Just the devil dressed up. And they're sacrificing on to him, giving him their worship. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 35. Jeremiah 32, verse 35. Jeremiah 32, verse 35 says, And they built the high places of Baal in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire unto Molech, which I commanded them not, neither came unto my mind, that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. Notice what it says there. They caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire unto Molech. What is this? This is child sacrifice. This is child sacrifice. Giving their children unto the false god, the devil, and throwing them in the fire. That's what they were up to. Does it happen today? Yeah, absolutely it does. Absolutely it does. Abortion. That's what we're doing. Giving our children on the Molech, throwing them in the fire. We're not protecting them. But this is what was happening, and this is what was happening in these high places. Turn back to 2 Kings and look at chapter 17, verse 9 to 11. See, these high places, they were associated with this secret kind of uh, mystic, hidden 
practice of these sinful things. Look at verse 9 of 2 Kings 17. And the children of Israel did secretly those things which were not right against the Lord their God. And they built them high places in all their cities, from the tower of the watchmen to the fenced city. And they set them up images and groves in every high hill, under every green tree. And there they burnt incense in all the high places, as did the heathen whom the Lord carried away before them, and wrought wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. Notice they did those things secretly. They went to these high places and they did the things that the people of God should not be doing. And they worshipped the false god. They sacrificed. They committed immorality. Did wicked things in these high places because they thought they were doing them in secret where they couldn't be seen. You know, I can't help as I read that, think about God's people today and our high places. And we've got them. We've all got them. The place where we think God can't see. The place where we think others can't see, therefore, it's okay. But God see. Did God see his people of Israel when they went to these high places? Absolutely, he did. And they should have known that. And the people of God today, we should know that too. But we do. We go to the secret place, the hidden place, the high place to commit the things that we don't want others to see, to think about the things that we don't want others to see, to do the things that we don't want others to see. But the reality is God sees. God will not be mocked. And when we go to these high places and we do these things that are not honouring to God, We're not giving God worship. Who truly are we worshipping? The only other option. The false God. The false God. That's what the people of Israel were doing all those years ago. And what did God say about them? They should have known better. They couldn't plead ignorance. Neither can we today. We can't plead ignorance before God that we don't know what God expects of us, that we don't know what God wants for us. He's given us his word. And his word was for the people of Israel also. And they should have known what God thought about these high places. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter number 12. Deuteronomy 12, verse number 1. These are the statutes and judgments which ye shall observe to do in the land which the Lord God of thy fathers giveth thee to possess it all the days that ye shall live upon the earth. Ye shall utterly destroy all the places wherein the nations which ye shall possess serve their gods and upon the high mountains, upon the hills and under every green tree. Ye shall overthrow their altars, break their pillars, burn their groves with fire, and ye shall hew down the graven images of their gods and destroy the names of them out of that place. This was the word of the Lord to the people of God. What he's saying effectively is there can be no room in the land for this idolatry at all. Not one trace of it. Get rid of it. 
Cut it down. Break it down. Burn it down. Destroy it is what the Lord says. Now, why does the Lord say this? Because the Lord is holy and he wants to be worshipped in a holy way. Absolutely he does. But also it's for the benefit of the people. And we have to understand this when God gives us instruction. It's not just for his benefit. It's for our benefit. He wants to keep us from harm. He loves us. He loves us. And God knew without the total destruction of the high places, there could be no radical reform. And if the high places were left in any shape or form, if any seed of sin was left in the nation, what would happen? It would grow and it would grow and it would manifest itself in a way that they would never expect. And that is such a picture of sin. If you let it in the door, even a little bit, and you tolerate it, and you accept it, it will grow, and it will grow, and one day it will manifest itself in a way that you would never expect it to. What's happened? You've let it in the door. It's a weed that needs to be taken care of. But King Uzziah, as I've said, he was an earthly ruler that was flawed and fallible. And he didn't go all the way. He let the thing grow. He let these things lie in the land. And they grew and they grew. And they affected the people. And ultimately they affected him. Turn to 2 Kings 15 again. Verse number 5. We're going to see how this earthly ruler ultimately succumbed. We've seen how he stumbled. He didn't remove the high places. Look at verse 5. And the Lord smote the king so that he was a leper until the day of his death and dwelt in a, a separate house. So this king who started so well, this king who brought prosperity to the land, didn't go all the way. He allowed things to fester and stay and they grew and ultimately they affected him. How did they affect him? Uh, you can read about this in 2 Chronicles. We don't have the time to go there this morning. But what happens is, towards the end of his, his rule and his reign, King Uzziah goes into the temple of God and he goes in and he decides to take it upon himself to start to uh, offer sacrifices and do the role that the priests and only the priests were permitted to do. See, Israel was very strict in that. God had given instructions that the priests and the kings had to be uh, separated in their rule and their reign. And ultimately, the uh, priests were those that would perform the sacrifices in the temple, and the king was not allowed to do that under the Levitical law. And what happens is Isaiah goes in and he presumes to do this and offer incense unto the Lord. And, and what, when you read the account, you'll see that there's priests, a group of priests there that uh, withstand him and say, no, you can't do this. And ultimately God strikes him with leprosy right there and right then. And of course, well, somebody with leprosy could not be on, in the temple. Why? Because they were unclean. And they had to be put out. And the king is ejected. And, you know, he just dies alone, separated in his last days. But why did he do that? This is where you have to put these dots together. Why did that king do that when he knew better? Why did he do it? 
I'll tell you why. People say pride. Yes, pride's in there, no doubt. But personally, I think he's been influenced by the pagan culture that he's allowed in the nation. Remember, he didn't remove the high places. He didn't remove the groves. He didn't remove the worship of the false god. And when you look at those pagan religions, you will find the common practice is for the ruler or the king to also be the priest and be in their places of worship and offer the sacrifices. So what am I, what am I saying to you this morning? What happened to him? I think his stumble was he didn't go all the way. He allowed the pagan practice to still be in the land, a picture of sin, and ultimately one day it rose up and affected him in such a way that he presumed to go into the temple of God and take for himself the right that was given to the Levitical priesthood and the Levitical priesthood alone. What had happened to this man? He'd allowed the world to influence him. And he'd looked at the pagans around him and said, well, the pagan king can do it, so can I. But if he'd have gone all the way at the start, and he'd removed that from the land, removed it from his sight. I don't think this thought would have ever entered his mind. But regardless, regardless, the king that started so well, we have to see that he was flawed and he was fallible and ultimately he fell. In Isaiah chapter number 6, as it marks this out, all in the land would remember this. This was big news. Isaiah 6 verse 1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, and no doubt Isaiah would have remembered where he was the day that King Uzziah died. And he would remember back and he would look at all the good things that he did, but then he'd remember his fall. And he'd remember how he didn't go all the way. How he didn't completely remove idolatry from the land. How he didn't uh, go uh, radical in cutting that out of the practices and the culture within uh, Judah. But Isaiah takes us from that moment and points us to the eternal ruler who is flawless and forever. He says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And that's where our eyes have to go. And that's where Isaiah sets his eyes. And he remembers Uzziah. He remembers the good, the bad, and the ugly. But then he gets his focus and he says, I saw the Lord upon his throne. Upon a throne. High and lifted up. Here, Isaiah sets his eyes upon the Lord. He's the only one that's flawless. He's the only one that's forever. He's the only one that won't fail. Isaiah was a good king, a great king for many, many years. But he failed. He was flawed. But here, Isaiah points us to Christ. And this is Christ here. This is not Jehovah. This is Christ on this throne. Jesus is the only member of the Godhead that 
has a body. John 1.18 tells us, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he declares him. Uh, turn with me to John chapter number 12. We, we've done this on the Sunday evenings, but it's important to know that this vision that Isaiah has is of the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 12. Verse 37. But though he had done many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. So this is the Lord Jesus Christ in context, clearly. Verse 38. That the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, he hath blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. This is the Lord Jesus Christ in context. Isaiah, when he has this vision of the one upon the throne, it is Christ. And it is Christ that Isaiah turns his eyes upon as he remembers the year that Isaiah died. As I've said, all the good and all the bad, he turns his eyes upon Christ. And that's what we are to do. The queen is gone. But the king is here forever. And we're to turn our eyes upon him. And that's what Isaiah does. He turns his eyes upon the flawless and forever ruler. And he goes on through the book of Isaiah to talk about him. And and turn to Isaiah chapter number 9. We know these verses, but we have to remember this is the vision. This is the one that Isaiah has his eyes upon that keeps him fixed, keeps him in the game, keeps him in the fight. And he says this of him in Isaiah 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with justice and judgment from henceforth forever, the zeal of the Lord's will perform this. Again, what is he doing? He's pointing to the eternal ruler who is flawless and forever. When his kingdom comes, it will be forever. It won't be a 70-year reign. It won't be a 52-year reign. It's a forever reign. This eternal king is coming to usher in his kingdom. And Isaiah goes on to talk about this. Chapter 11 of Isaiah, verses 1 to 5. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. A branch shall go forth out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. And shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove iniquity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be in the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness in the girdle of his 
reigns. This is the eternal king, the flawless king that will rule righteously with a rod of iron. There will be no imperfection in his judgment. And this is the one that Isaiah sees upon the throne. This is the one that Isaiah lifts up and magnifies. This is the one that will be the one that every knee shall bow to. Isaiah 45. This is the eternal ruler with a name above all names. Isaiah 45, verse 22. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness, and shall not return. That unto me shall every knee bow, every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say, in the Lord I have righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come. And all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. Who is it to every knee will bow? It's Christ when he comes to rule and reign. This is the eternal ruler who is flawless and forever. This is the one that Isaiah magnifies and lifts up and exalts and he points our eyes towards this impeccable, impeachable, wonderful, lovely Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, look upon him. And when we do look upon him, he should be high and lifted up. He should be exalted and magnified in our eyes. We shouldn't have high places where we're exalting the other God, the false God. But we should be exalting the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal ruler. And Isaiah goes on to speak about this eternal ruler. And this is the greatest thing that could ever be said about any ruler. Because the queen has done many things, but she hasn't done much for me. The queen has done many things, but I'm sure she hasn't done much for you personally. I don't know her. I've never met her. Maybe some of you have. Some of you are waiting for the letter. <laughs> what is it? 100 year letter? No, I'm joking. But this king, this eternal ruler, this flawless ruler, the one who spoke the world into existence, the one who holds it together, scientists can't work out, why is the universe still hold together? Because the Lord of glory holds it together. This king, Isaiah goes on to speak about, Isaiah 53, verses 1 and 2. Because this is the king that Isaiah has lifted up. This is the king that's holy and flawless. But yet this eternal king loved us so much that he stepped off the throne of heaven and came to this earth. Isaiah 53, verse number 1. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For she, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He shall have no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. This is the same king. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. 
but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the eternal ruler. Flawless forever. High, holy, lifted up. Yet he stepped down to save us from our sin. The queen didn't do anything for me. But the king gave everything for me and for you. What a king. What a king. Flawless, perfect lamb of God. Forever the perfect Lord. And yet he stepped down into this imperfect world. Put on flesh. And went to the cross. So that we could be with him. Forever. Folks, earthly rulers are flawed. They're fallible. But the eternal ruler is flawless and forever. Queen Elizabeth. Although she was a woman of faith, she was flawed, she was fallible. Under her rule, things have progressed and waxed worse and worse in this land. The Queen's Jubilee, and we watched as, I don't know if you've seen the show, and we watched as the, the buses came past of all the decades, and I just looked at it, and, and every bus just it got worse and worse in terms of immorality. Worse and worse. And the queen was looking at her 70 years and things had changed so much. She couldn't do anything about it. She was flawed and she was fallible. But, but there is one who is perfect. And there is one that will fix all things. And there is one that is coming to rule and reign. That is the eternal ruler. And he is flawless and forever. And we have to put our eyes to him at all times. He is our hope. He is our strength. He is our joy. He is our peace. Yes, the queen has gone. But the king is here forever. I wonder this morning, is he your king? Is he your king? Have you rejected him? He's willing to accept you this morning. I wonder if he is your king and you've declared your allegiance to him. How you serve your king. It was interesting. Claire shared on Facebook and we heard this when we were listening on the radio that the only book that the queen would give a foreword for was one that was produced by the Bible Society and it's entitled The Servant Queen and the King She Serves. And she said in the, in the, in the foreword that she has indeed seen his faithfulness. Now, if the Queen knew the Lord as her personal saviour, which I believe she did, on Thursday, the Queen went to meet the King. And that King is flawless 
He's forever. And ultimately, he's absolutely faithful. So what are we to do? Turn our eyes upon him. Let's be like Isaiah. See him high and lifted up. If there's a high place in your life, cut it down. Be ruthless. And let the Lord put his hand upon you. Bless you and guide you and lead you.